0: you all for being here. And uh, as Mark mentioned, literally everybody that's not here is out of town. So we're thankful that you're here, Colin, uh, to encourage us. And I uh, hope the things we have to talk about tonight will be encouraging to us all. Um, there it goes. If you would turn your Bibles to, Mark, or to Psalm 22, the sec- 22nd Psalm. I want to continue with some ideas that we had this morning and uh, and dig a little deeper into a passage that we referenced in our lesson this morning, the 22nd Psalm. Imagine that you only had a few words that you could say, but you wanted to convey a message. Let's envision that sometime in the future, they make it illegal to talk about creation. They make it illegal to say that God created the world. And we're here at a service, we're in a Bible class, talking about creation, and here come the police in, and they're gonna drag one of us out. They're dragging Mark out. And Mark wants to give a message to the people that are standing by, watching. And Mark might say, in the beginning, and we would know that Mark is referencing Galatia, or Genesis chapter 1 and the creation account. Mark would want us all to know that he has faith in that, that he's not going to be intimidated by law enforcement, he's going to proclaim the gospel, the, the truth about creation. Or maybe we can envision that you're getting ready to be taken back to surgery. There's some type of emergency surgery that they're having to do on you, they're rushing you into surgery. And your loved ones are standing nearby as they come in to take you back to surgery. And everybody's concerned about you. And you want to say something to your family to comfort them. And you might say, the Lord is my shepherd. As you're going out the room, you just, the Lord is my shepherd. What do you mean? Well, you're referencing everybody to the 23rd Psalm. And you're telling everyone, I have faith in God. God's going to provide and God's going to care for me. When you're in a situation where you have very few words to say, that you can say, maybe a short time to say them, you can reference well-known things like the passages like those to let everyone know what your message is and what your intent is. Well, in Mark chapter 15, verses 34 and 35, I believe we have just that. In Mark chapter 15, verses 34 and 35, Jesus is hanging on the cross. It is the ninth hour. Jesus has been on the cross for six hours. It is very near the end. Jesus is near death. And Jesus says these four words Mark 15, verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them stood by when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth for Elias. On the surface, this might sound like a message of despair and hopelessness. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, four words. But the astute listener to Jesus would have known that Jesus is referencing the 22nd Psalm. Jesus is, no doubt, in a very weakened condition. And these four words may have been all that he could get out. As you recall, a crucifixion victim was hanging by his arms on those nails that pierced his hands. And he was standing on the nail that pierced his feet. And there was a, uh, there was space there provided for him to lift himself up on his feet so that his diaphragm would be able to breathe, and he would stand on that nail as long as he could take it, giving his diaphragm uh, a break so that it would breathe, and when he couldn't stand any longer, he would then hang from his, feet, or from his hands and let his feet rest. And as he hang, hang there from his hands, his diaphragm would become paralyzed. He couldn't breathe anymore. And then he would stand up again relieving that pressure on his chest so that his diaphragm would work so he could breathe again, air was a precious commodity. Jesus had very little he could say. And as time progresses, as he's hanging on the cross, the words that he say get shorter and shorter and shorter. Finally, it is finished. Jesus is pointing the people back to the 22nd Psalm, the psalm we looked at this morning. And if we'll look at that, I believe it will tell us a lot about what Jesus' intention is here as He's hanging on the cross. Let's look at the 22nd Psalm and let's read it in its entirety quickly tonight. It begins with what Jesus referenced, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night session, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You may be trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life and the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him. Even he, he who cannot help himself alive or keep himself alive a posterity shall serve him. It, shall, it will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born that he has done this. Jesus is referencing us to the 22nd Psalm. And in that Psalm, I, see, I believe we see a statement of great agony. Jesus is referring to this passage to help us understand the great agony he was going through. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. In the night session, I am not silent. You can sense the great agony here at this, as this psalm begins. What kind of agony are we talking about? First off, we're talking about great physical torture. Look at verses 14 through 17 of the 22nd psalm. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. Jesus says he is poured out like water. Have you ever felt totally exhausted, totally drained, like you had just been poured out? Maybe you've been through some illness, and at the end of that illness, you just feel completely drained. You ever had a bad stomach bug? You feel just wiped out, don't you? You feel like you couldn't get up and move out of the way of a truck if it was coming. You're totally wiped out. He says, I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. He'd been through so much it felt like all of his bones were out of joint. His heart is like wax. There's no strength left in him. His heart is like wax. It's melted in his body. His strength is dried up like a potshirt. His tongue cleaves to his jaws. Can you imagine the thirst that Jesus would have had hanging there for six hours? He says, they pierced my hands and my feet. Can you just imagine the pain of having your hands and your feet pierced? We have a lot of nerves in our hands because we need those nerves to be able to feel what we're touching, all of those nerves getting nailed to the cross. And these, no doubt, were not finished nails that they were using, these were heavy-duty nails that would hold the weight of a person as they pounded them over and over again into the cross. And on top of that, when you're not feeling well, when you've been through a lot, sometimes you just want to be alone in a quiet and dark room. Yet Jesus is hanging on that cross, and he says there at the end of verse 17, they look and stare upon me. You've got to endure all that pain and all that agony while everyone around is looking and staring at you. When others could help, but they're not willing to help, they're just going to stare and watch you as you writhe in pain. In Mark chapter 15, verse 21, Mark chapter 15, verse 21, as Jesus is carrying his own cross, they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Jesus was so weak before he even got on the cross that he had to have help bearing his cross. Now, if a person wasn't able to carry the cross, typically, why would they have had Jesus do that? But they had Jesus do it, but he was already physically unable to carry his own cross. Why is that? We go earlier in Mark chapter 15 to verse 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Jesus received two punishments here. And many believed that Pilate was being a coward. And he didn't want to tell the people, no, he hoped that he, if he bloodied Jesus up enough, that their desire to have vengeance on him would be uh, satiated. And they'd say, okay, that's enough. But it wasn't. And so Jesus was scourged before he was crucified. Here's a picture of what a scourge might have looked like. It was not a single whip. It was a uh, device used to inflict pain and to to destroy that had multiple tongs of leather. And in those tongs may have been pieces of rock or of glass or pottery. So that as someone was struck with that scourge, those pieces of pottery would rip the flesh off of their back. Jesus had been through that. Many people died from the scourging. And yet Jesus had been through that and now he's hanging on that cross and has been hanging there for six hours. And so, as Jesus hangs there, he is experiencing all those things that he's mentioned in, Rome, in Psalm 22. All of the physical torture that he had been through. And in John 19, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. He was going through all that, no doubt extremely dehydrated at this point from the loss of blood, from a lack of fluids, he says, I thirst. And that may have been an extreme understatement. No doubt he was extremely thirsty at this time. Jesus underwent extreme physical torture at the hands of the Romans who were professionals at making people suffer. They didn't crucify people in a way that made it easy, that made it uh, as comfortable as possible. No, they wanted it to hurt. They wanted it to hurt bad, and they wanted it to hurt as long as possible. And Jesus underwent all of that for you and me. I'm gonna tell you what else though, as we look at the 22nd Psalm, as Jesus points us back to that, it helps us to understand the mental anguish that he went through. Not just the physical pain. I think we think a lot about the physical torture that Jesus went through, and rightly so. But the mental anguish as well was extreme and excruciating. In In the 22nd Psalm, verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near. There is none to help. Have you ever been frightened and concerned and you just wanted someone to help and maybe someone did show up and they helped? They were at the right place at the right time and they helped you. And the comfort that you felt just when they walked in the room that they could help. And yet Jesus is hanging on that cross, going through all of that pain and all of that anguish, and there's no one there to help. It had been terrifying. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. This gives us an idea of how Jesus felt. Jesus felt as if he was going, being circled around by lions and bulls that are ready to just tear him apart as he's hanging there on the cross. Incredible mental anguish. And we have to note that this is not the first instance where Jesus is feeling that way. This has been building up because Jesus knew what would happen in Mark 10, verse 33. In Mark 10, verse 33, Jesus told his disciples, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. Jesus knew this was happening. He knew what was going on. He knew when he went to Jerusalem this was going to happen, and it had to be weighing on him and weighing on him heavily. It weighed on him so heavily. Notice what he said as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, verse 33. In Mark 14, verse 33, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy, and saith unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take this, away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. We should never believe that Jesus was comfortable with this idea of being crucified for us. Jesus desperately wanted some other way to make this possible without him having to endure the cross. He was so concerned about this, he was sorrowful even unto death. And we will recall that while he was in the garden praying, those who were closest to him, Peter, Andrew, and John, Peter, James, and John, didn't even care enough to stay awake all of this mental anguish that Jesus went through, and He's calling us to realize that as we go back to Psalm 22 and see what it was like from His perspective to endure these things. And furthermore, as we go back to Psalm 22, we see the humiliation that Jesus endured as well. The physical pain, the mental anguish, but also the humiliation. Look at Psalm 22, beginning of verse 6. Psalm 22, verse 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. The reaction of of the people to Jesus had to add great suffering to what he was having to endure. Everybody going by. As Jesus hangs on the cross as the innocent Savior of the world, everybody going by is shaking the head and poking fun and ridiculing and mocking Him, saying He trusted in God. Where's God now? Why isn't God saving you now, Jesus? You said that you were the servant of God, the Son of God, come down from the cross, insinuating that He was a liar. In Matthew chapter 27, we see the account of what actually happened. In Mark 27, verse 39, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. People walking by. I read something this week that I hadn't caught before. And this is the idea of the people passing by. It is likely that the Romans set up their place of crucifixion by a road where people would be passing. I'd never thought about that before. So that they would be humiliated because they wanted this to be a public spectacle and a public display. You commit a crime. You revolt against the Roman government. This is what happens to you. They wanted everyone to see it. And so Jesus is enduring this agony in the public where people are walking by, traveling by, and as they travel by, they just launch more insults to him constantly as they go by. Can you imagine the humiliation of that? On top of that, they mock him with uh, the superscription above his head on the cross. And the superscription, Mark 15, 26, And the superscription of, this, of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which, was, which saith, and he was numbered with transgressors. And so now he's got this mocking accusation above his head. He's hanging there as people pass by and ridicule him. And who does he have on either side? Thieves criminals. He's numbered with the transgressors. He looks just like those thieves, those crooks that are dying for their sins and their crimes, and here he is innocent, having to be put associated with those who had done those great evils. The humiliation was incredible. And then back to the 22nd Psalm, verse 18. And they part my garments among them and cast lots for my vesture. And now they're parting his, his garments. In John 19, verse 23, beginning. The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. And they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. I want you to imagine the humiliation and the grief that it would cause you if, say, you were on your deathbed. And they've called in hospice, and you're at home, and your family members and your friends begin to come into your house and start carrying things out. You're there, you're awake, you know what's going on, and you're in this moment of great distress, and they're starting to divide up your possessions. They don't care about you, they just care about your stuff. And you hear them in the living room arguing about that painting or that picture that they want, and who gets that, and who gets that, and they're dividing your stuff. Can you imagine Jesus having to go through that? They're dividing his garments. while he's going through all of this. Jesus points us back to the 22nd Psalm to help us understand the agony that he's going through, the physical torture, the mental anguish, and the humiliation that he had to endure for our sins. But I want to tell you the 22nd Psalm doesn't end with that. The 22nd Psalm goes on and it tells us about the great victory that we can experience with God as our Savior talks about the fact that God is faithful, and Jesus reminds us of that, that God is faithful when he points us back to the 22nd Psalm. Look at verse 3. Psalm 22, verse 3. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. Jesus is telling us that God is faithful. He's reminding us that no matter what we go through in this life, we can have confidence that God is faithful and that He'll be with us. Look at Lamentations chapter 3, beginning verse 22. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore I will hope in Him. God is faithful. His faithfulness is great, and He will be with us. And Jesus reminds us of that as He references us back to the 22nd Psalm. The 89th Psalm, verse 8, says it this way, O Lord of hosts, who is a strong Lord Lord like unto thee, or to thy faithfulness round about thee? God is faithful. And we need to have confidence in that. Confidence that we can say what the Hebrew writer says, or references here in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We need to have confidence in God's faithfulness. In difficult times, Jesus was confident of God's faithfulness. We need to be as well. And as a result of his faithfulness, Jesus is reminding us by referencing us back to the 22nd Psalm that God is to be praised Back in the 22nd Psalm, verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation I will praise thee. Yea, ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All All ye the seed of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried out unto him, he heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear. Jesus, in his statement on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's reminding us that God is to be praised. God will be faithful, and we need to praise him. In the 118th Psalm, beginning of verse 21, salvation, the stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalmist here is telling us we need to praise God. This is a passage that you see a lot in scripture references that might be hanging on someone's wall. This is the Lord's day. We will rejoice. This is the day where the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I want to tell you that is not talking about March twenty first, twenty twenty two, or Friday or Saturday. Not a specific day. It's talking about the age that we live in. The day of Christ's salvation in the church and the kingdom. We live in the time which we can enjoy God's salvation. This is the day that God has made. We need to rejoice and be glad in it. We need to praise God for the salvation that he's made possible through Christ. And Jesus is telling us that when he refers us back to the 22nd Psalm. Look at the 103rd Psalm, beginning of verse 1. The 103rd Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases. God has forgiven us of our iniquities because Jesus hung on the cross that day. We need to give praise to Him. We need to worship Him as a result of all that He's done. And then in the 28th Psalm, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoices, and my song, with my song I will praise him." Do we realize all the blessings that we have in Christ because of God's salvation through his Son? If we do, the natural reaction is for us to want to praise him and give him the glory for all that he's done. And Jesus is telling us in the 22nd Psalm finally, that God provides us with salvation. Look back at the 22nd Psalm, verse 26. The 22nd Psalm, verse 26. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek Him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow down before him, and none shall keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come, and they shall declare his righteousness unto uh, a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. God provides salvation. He does so through his Son. Jesus is reminding us that this is the way of salvation through the sacrifice that he's making. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered for us so that we can have salvation. The 22nd Psalm reminds us of this. It reminds us of the fact what John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, as Jesus, after His resurrection, tells His disciples to go and spread the gospel, He tells them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Salvation that is made possible by the gift of God's Son. Jesus, in those four words that he said, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, references us back to that psalm that is prophetic in nature, foretelling what Jesus would have to suffer and it gives us great insight into what Jesus was experiencing there as He hung on the cross. It tells us about the incredible physical torture that He went through for you and He went through for me. The incredible mental anguish that He had to suffer. And on top of that, the humiliation of being mocked and ridiculed by the people He was dying for. But on the other side of that, He also tells us that there is great victory in God. That God is faithful He needs to be praised for all the blessings He's given us and that He's made salvation possible to us through the gift of His Son. The question for us tonight to consider is, have we taken advantage of that salvation? And are we living in a way that brings praise and honor and glory to our Father? If we believe that Jesus died for us and if we appreciate all that He went through for us, it's going to change the way that we live. We're going to submit to God and to Christ in every aspect of our lives because we're thankful for the salvation that's been made possible through His Son. If you're living in a way that's not uh, consistent with that tonight, if you've not been living in a way that brings glory to God, we would encourage you to make change. And if we can help, will you let us know while we stand and sing?